Hey, I'm Jeffrey Rickman, and this is Plain Spoken, and today I'm talking about Bishop Minerva Carcano. Um, I was interested in this topic because uh, it's just something that's bubbled up to the surface a couple times over the last couple years. I'm going to connect some dots for you that, that I, I'm connecting, um, and the, the thought here is not that, um, ooh, look at this exciting gossip, and uh, let's just look at this and, and get lascivious. It's more a commentary on the kind of system that the United Methodist Church has created and perpetuates. Uh, we're going to get into an article written by uh, Cynthia B. Astell, who is a liberal writer. Uh, Carcano is a liberal bishop. Uh, we're going to turn to uh, UM News, which is also liberal. So this is this is me kind of highlighting um, authors, writers from a sympathetic perspective highlighting systemic issues within the United Methodist body. Um, so the hope in, in doing this is, is not to participate in, in gossip or speaking evil of people with whom I disagree, but more highlighting um, systematic concerns within the UMC and uh, looking at their implications, uh, not just long-term and not just small-term, but, but here in the present, in big ways, uh, our culture of secrecy slash confidentiality our culture of um, bureaucratic elites taking over and, and um, administering the system uh, just really has some problematic implications, not just for right-leaning people, but even people ideologically um, uh, uh, sympathetic with leftism and liberalism. So if you don't know who Bishop Minerva Carcano is, I've got a, her page pulled up on the Council of Bishops site, you'll see that um, officially she's still affiliated with the San Francisco Episcopal area. Uh, she was uh, appointed to the elected to the Episcopacy in 2004 by the Western Jurisdictional Conference. Um, she is a resident bishop of San Francisco area, which includes a California Nevada conference and the Western Jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church. She's been there the whole time. However, uh, we're going to turn to our first article here. This is Agency Seeks Role in Complaint Against Bishop. It's written by Heather Hahn of the United Methodist News Agency, and it was published on the 15th of this month. Um, and, of course, I've got my own little edits and notes that I uh, like to do, so um, let me expand this out, and we'll kind of make our way through here because she highlights in this article what uh, agencies are getting involved here. <laughs> and why they're getting involved, because it says that um, COSRO is getting involved. That is the United Methodist Commission on the Status and Role of Women. If you don't know it, the denomination has some big uh, bureaucracies up at the top of it, and a couple of them advocate for minority populations. So COSRO is uh, an extension of feminism. It advocates for women. You also have race and religion, which is going to be uh, addressed at the back end of this article, both of them are noting that um, uh, Bishop Carcano has been placed on leave for over a year. It happened on March 8th of 2022. There were two complaints filed, and so immediately she was placed on administrative leave. Now, during that time, she has been receiving full pay and benefits. If you don't know how much American United Methodist bishops gets paid, get paid, it's $175,000 a year plus benefits plus a housing stipend. So it's reasonable to assume that every single American bishop is costing uh, in apportionments over $225,000 a year. So she's been essentially getting these uh, financial benefits from the denomination 
for over a year now while she does nothing. She's been placed, uh, no, the, the phrase is not placed on leave, it's suspended. She has been suspended. Meanwhile, retired Bishop Sally Dyke has been filling in for her. Um, she's also a person who leans left. Um, every, all the bishops in the Western jurisdiction are, uh, without exception. Um, so they note in here that uh, it's not a, unprecedented to do this, to, to um, suspend a bishop this way. And I looked at that link, and there was a Filipino bishop that got suspended, and I want to say 2004, um, but it hasn't happened much before. Um, and then it focuses on the fact that really nobody knows what the complaints were. You know, as soon as I heard about it, you know, that this happened in the West, that the Western jurisdiction bishops had suspended her, I thought, man, she must have really done something bad, but nobody knows what it is. Um, so, and then it goes into this description of, of who she is in this article. She is Hispanic, if you didn't figure out by the Enya in her last name. Um, she's been a, a big advocate on liberal um, stuff. And then it gets into the procedural stuff on the Book of Discipline. Paragraph 413 is the paragraph that outlines complaints against bishops and uh, how they're handled. So what was supposed to happen was there was supposed to be a 60-day period right after the complaints were filed just to get uh, the facts of the case under control and then to figure out if there needed to be a just resolution or if there needed to be a trial. And uh, once 60 days was up, that didn't happen. Uh, there's, there's a lot more on this, on the procedural stuff and the different committees and bodies that reviewed the case. The Western Jurisdiction bishops have all had their eyes on this, and yet they've chosen not to operate on the timeline that uh, that was recommended or mandated by the Book of Discipline. Now, if you've been watching my stuff for any period of time, you'll know that this um, uh, corresponds with Robert Barnes' episode with his complaint against Bishop Karen Olivito, who uh, he filed against her not because she is not eligible for the office of bishop according to the Book of Discipline, but because she was openly preaching something like Arianism or Universalism. It depends on who you listen to, how you break that down. But she departed significantly from uh, United Methodist biblical doctrine. Anyway, whenever he filed against her, the official process was begun. They swore him to secrecy, and then they refused to follow the complaint process to its uh, mandated terminus. They just uh, rejected it quietly without conclusion. So that seems to be what's going on here, only they are not dismissing the charges. They're just letting it hold out in perpetuity such that a lot of eyebrows are getting raised. It's, it's quite strange. The Judicial Council was asked to um, uh, make a declaratory decision on this, I think it was called, on whether or not they could force this to conclude, and the majority, just barely, uh, there were nine participants in the deliberations they, uh, they said that um, they were not going to act on this. So uh, there's a note here on confidentiality, and we're going to get to that in the next article. But uh, something that shows up here and throughout a lot of um, complaint processes, whether you're talking about on the general church level or the annual conference level, is that um, the, the big important conversations are happening behind closed doors where um, all participants are expected to uh, pretty much sign an NDA where they will not disclose what has happened there. That's why it was such a big deal whenever Joseph DiPaolo 
broke confidentiality and told about the deliberations on the uh, general conferences um, coordinating council. I forget what it was called. Uh, by the way, I think I've gotten him to agree to an interview with me next week or the week after, so stay tuned for that. But um, it's worth asking at this point, just put a pin in it, is confidentiality really something um, helpful within this denomination? All right, so uh, they make clear that just because she's been suspended doesn't mean she's done anything wrong. They go back to the provisions of paragraph 413, and then they connect it to paragraph 2704.1c. It says that at least five members of the Committee on Investigation recommend the jurisdiction's episcopacy committee may suspend the person under complaint. So if I recall correctly, this is the same provision that came into play with Robert Barnes's complaint against Bishop Olivito. Now, if you don't know who Bishop Olivito is, I've already talked about her a little bit, but she's going to continue to figure into this story quite a bit, not just because she has gone through uh, receiving similar complaints against her and it being handled under similar provisions, but because she has professional overlap with Bishop Carcano. So, um, yeah, we got into the Committee on Investigation just now, and that's one of many committees that's had eyes on this for some time. It talks about the obligations of the committee, um, and that's when my eyes glaze over. Um, so then it deals with this statement that was put out by Cosro saying, uh, we respectfully – this is Cosro, isn't it? Well, no, it might be. Okay, no, the board said the agency respectfully requests inclusion to allow monitoring on the process going forward, and we formally offer our services to assist in seeking a just resolution. So Cosro is coming alongside and saying, we see this is clearly stalled out. Can we come along and monitor? What I think they're saying is we need to get this show on the road. We need to figure out what's happening here. And then there are two Western jurisdiction bishops that sit on that agency that, that did not sign it. So um, they, they talk about the importance of transparency. Uh, quote, allowing a process to be monitored speaks to the opportunity of providing transparency while honoring confidentiality for all parties involved. Uh, this was Don Hig Wiggins Hare, who is the agency's top executive. And I just want to make sure we're talking about Cosro. No, that's status and, yeah, status and role of women. Okay, Cosro. So she is this, uh, Don Higgins, Wiggins Hare is the top executive, and she's saying, okay, so they can be transparent with us, and then we can take the whole confidentiality thing to that point. So those two things are at odds. Confidentiality, which is supposed to protect um, individuals who are being prosecuted, but is more often used, in my opinion, to protect the institution um, versus uh, transparency, which allows everything to be done out in the open. So uh, a just resolution is defined, and then it talks in the very end about how they also want to bring religion and race into it, the United Methodist Commission on Religion and Race, because Carcano is, is not um, uh, a white guy or a white woman. Uh, she is of Hispanic descent, so they should probably have oversight as well. So um, I, what do we make of this? Um, the next article is written, it's the one by Cynthia B. Astle, and it was written just a, a few days before the previous one, is the UN, United Methodist Church's first Latina bishop, uh, I'm so glad she didn't say Latinx, bishop a victim of its culture 
of secrecy. Now, Cynthia has her own uh, UM Insight, I believe, is just her project alone, and she writes from what I would consider a pretty far-left perspective. But on this particular point, I am 100% with Mrs. Astle. I think it's inappropriate to um, to have the level of con- concern for confidentiality that we have within the United Methodist Church. As Jesus said, there is nothing that is hidden that will not be made known. Uh, Jesus talked about how uh, people hated him. This is in John chapter 1. People hated him because he was the light, and people who love their sins stay in the darkness. They hate coming into the light because then their sins will be seen. I think that the culture of secrecy, uh, or they would call it confidentiality, betrays that the institution is uh, not pure, is failing in its um, mandate by Jesus to be the pillar and foundation of the truth. And so um, this this article was written by Mrs. Astle, uh, lining out the same basics of when she was suspended, what the paragraphs are that apply to this in the Book of Discipline. And then um, she uses some more um, hyperbolic language that I think is is uh, well-earned. She says that she has been essentially disappeared from church life. She has been on ecclesial ecclesiastical house arrest during this time of suspension. Now, I'm going to point out near the, the tail end of this, she has been active publicly, just not in her capacity as bishop. She, she heads up another organization, and she puts out public statements, but she does not talk to anybody about anything pertaining to this. She's on a hush order. So uh, let's look at this quote from uh, Mrs. Astle. Bishop Carcano could be considered a victim of the United Methodist Church's culture of secrecy. The practice of confidentiality in complaints against ordained clergy, including bishops, is intended to protect the accused while efforts at just resolution consultations are conducted in hopes of restoring the alleged violator to ministry. Through the years, however, the policy and practice of confidentiality has been employed as a weapon against accused clergy as often as it protects them from being tried in public. In some cases, the United Methodist confidentiality culture serves more to protect the institution then it has aided a process of just resolution. So I would, I would, I find nothing to disagree with in here. In fact, I, I think I would push it a little further to say that generally, confidentiality is always used by the institution for its own good. Um, I would compare it to an HR department in uh, an, an organization where they similarly have confidentiality policies in place and NDA agreements that are uh, signed. Um, I've talked to a lot of conservatives in the present moment right now who are sworn to confidentiality before they can even talk to conference officials, conference officials making it very clear that they do not consent to being recorded, which is very problematic because anytime there is anything said that listeners take issue with, it immediately becomes a he said, she said issue. And when you're dealing with confidentiality issues, the person in power is always going to say, how dare you in- call my integrity into question? How dare you not trust me? As if we are not in a situation where trust has been badly lost. And uh, many parties are right not to trust. Instead, they just hide behind confidentiality and say, this is the system. We do this to protect people involved. You need to consent. You need to be confidential. You need to trust the process. But then the reason I did uh, the Robert Barnes interview was to show that when you trust the process, 
It does not result in what it was clearly designed to do when you allow it to happen behind closed doors by an indeterminate uh, number of people who are sworn to secrecy. So to her credit, Mrs. Astle uh, uh, shows how this McClendon complaint against uh, Bishop Bridgeforth, this was relatively recent, they dropped the complaint without even considering its merits because the pastor who wanted to file these charges wanted to democratic he wanted to show here's how many people are hurt in this process he opened it up he said i'm making this complaint against the bishop he welcomed other people to sign along with him and whenever he put it on facebook that was their uh, the the bishops dismissed his his claims saying there was a breach of confidentiality in doing that so even though he's taken the website down it, it's over. There can be no complaint against Bishop Bridgeforth, even though he, similar to Olivito, according to the Book of Discipline, is not eligible for the office that he was elected to. So it's a clear miscarriage of justice. It's clearly using principles and writing in the Book of Discipline to work against the Book of Discipline, which is not so ironically what liberalism generally does with the Bible. It's a, it's a hermeneutic of dealing with texts that— um, I would say it always defers to power, that those in power are given interpretive license to activate some parts of the text against the others rather than to uphold all of them to the best of their ability. Um, okay, so uh, she talks about a lot of the stuff of secrecy involved in this, um, and she, she's clear that there's no way for us to know what the particulars are until they hold – the case, if a just resolution can't be found, they have to at least allow the trial to take place. And if they don't do that, then we're never going to know what happens. But even whenever they have the case, whoever they put in charge of it can just make it a closed door session. So even if they have the uh, procedure, uh, there is nothing saying that um, those of us who have been paying $225,000 a year for horror to be under ecclesiastical house arrest that we're ever going to know what happened. We're just paying that money ostensibly so that they can lollygag and take their time and not do anything. Um, and that's while we're paying 225 k at least for two other Western jurisdiction bishops that are not eligible for the office. So we're looking at almost a million dollars being um, essentially spent in ways that are reprehensible <laughs> to, to people like me. Um, all right, so uh, she talks about how a lot of these um, procedural things can be twisted by those in power to serve their um, uh, interests. She goes through paragraph 2702, or actually I think this is uh, – no, it's 2702, excuse me. These are the charges that can be twisted to apply to just about anybody if you really want to. So immorality, including but not limited to being celibate and singleness or not faithful in heterosexual marriage, practices declared by the UMC to be incompatible with Christian teachings, uh, crime, disobedience to the order and disciplines of the UMC, dissemination of doctrines contrary to the established standards of doctrine, relationships and or behavior that undermines the ministry of another pastor, child abuse, sexual abuse, sexual misconduct, harassment, racial or gender discrimination, fiscal malfeasance. And then she goes down the line of some of them. She talks about, well, could she be gay? Could she have been practicing discrimination? She's very skeptical about 
her having really done anything, including fiscal malfeasance. Um, I think that's where she talks about where she serves on this um, this other board, this endowment. Um, so then she's she turns attention. The author, Mrs. Astle, does on uh, the Western jurisdiction and just asks, you know, why is it that uh, that they've punted that or that they've just kicked the can down the road? Uh, and then she concludes the article. Uh, unless Bishop Carcano's case becomes more transparent, the United Methodist Church's pernicious culture of secrecy may claim another victim. Now, this happens not just on the general church level, like I was talking about. It happens in uh, annual conferences all the time. And I'll tell you, uh, one specific way in which it's coming into play right now is whenever churches are wanting to disaffiliate under paragraph 2553, they get to choose under which provisions they do so. Um, there are three different uh, uh, phrases that you can vote on if they apply to your church. Why are you wanting to uh, uh, disaffiliate? And the third one is the actions or inactions of my annual conference as pertains to uh, what's in the Book of Discipline. So there are a lot of conservative uh, churches that say, well, I know that a person in our conference was uh, that they performed a gay marriage ceremony, um, and they are still clergy in good standing, so obviously the Book of Discipline was not enforced. And what the, the conference does is when they get that reasoning, they say, no, um, uh, that process was handled according to the Book of Discipline, and confidentiality is going to be upheld. So churches that are looking at it and going, well, clearly the Book of Discipline was not upheld, the, the conference can say, well, look, that, that provision was subject to uh, confidentiality. We don't have to prove to you that we did it. We're just going to tell you that we did. Um, and when you've got a situation like that where um, seemingly uh, parts of the discipline that apply to you cannot be upheld because of a confidential process that took place somewhere else that nobody else can attest to, that is clearly upending the intent of the Book of Discipline as it was written there. So right now, as it is, a very frustrating thing. We had another provision for local churches to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church. It was 2548.2, and that one did not have a, a big process attached to it. The, the, the intention was clearly that the denomination did not want to be entrapping congregations that did not want to be part of it, so here we can allow them to transfer to another evangelical denomination. Um, the Judicial Council then shot that down saying, uh, we already have now another provision for disaffiliation, paragraph 2553. That's the only provision for disaffiliation now. Everyone has to use that. So conservative churches then said, okay, well, we'll try and use that to the best of our ability. And then now uh, bishops, cabinets, conference staff stand between churches and that clear provision saying, well, we confidential, confidentially did something that we cannot and will not tell you about that makes it so that you cannot use that provision. So this is, this is something that's causing real, uh, real harm, I don't know, real frustration within the denomination in lots of different annual conferences. Um, when, when you have a situation where those in authority do not have to explain themselves to others, then you have a, play, uh, a, a, a place where the incentives are are clearly in place for those in power to misbehave. And so you, you just can't have that. So as I was looking at this situation, I was remembering uh, an incident in 2018 where Bishop Carcano 
took a stand that I really respected her for. Uh, she was bishop of, uh, well, the same area that she still technically is. And in San Francisco, there was the only liberal megachurch in the United Methodist Church, Glide Memorial United Methodist Church. And it was often held up as a beacon of uh, an example of what liberal churches can be. They were a bastion for freedom, advocating for um, the oppressed and the least of these. Um, and what she did was uh, pretty much, well, she didn't shut it down. It's still going today. But she claimed the assets of the church. Um, this church was, uh, so you'll remember Olavito was elected to the bishopric, the episcopacy. That's what we call it in 2016, but before that, she was head pastor at this church. So um, there was a, a lawsuit filed by the California-Nevada Annual Conference under Bishop Carcano's leadership. She sued the Glide Foundation Board of Trustees, escalating the battle for control of the Glide Memorial UMC. It was filed on December 11th. It was concluded, I, I believe. Um, and then she wrote a note posted on the conference website. Now, I tried to find this note, and it's an error 404. This cannot be found. So someone somewhere has a copy of the note, but uh, I, I didn't get it. It just has quotes from that lifted up here. She talked about how there was blatant violation of the trust clause. There was financial mismanagement. There was a subversion of United Methodist um, role in, in leading things. Glide Foundation clearly got away from themselves administratively, and that, I mean, was, I mean, anyone with good judgment would do that. Um, yeah, it talked about its figures at that point in 2018. It had a weekly attendance of more than 1,800, which is pretty impressive. Very good for them. But there were uh, conflicts. They tried to send, I want to say, two new senior pastors that both were kind of blocked out of administering the churches. But then the real part of this that I, I, I just thought was awesome was... Um, Carcano, I circled this, Carcano also said in her letter that the great majority of those attending Glide services were from non-Christian faiths or were atheists or agnostics and that the services themselves, quote, lack the fundamentals of Christian worship. That's not something liberals say. <laughs> you know, I, I can't remember the last liberal leader who was willing to say so-and-so is not a Christian or so-and-so does not bear the hallmarks of, of a Christian. That is, that's a big no-no in the liberal worldview. And the fact that she put this in a letter and released it and essentially said Glide Memorial is not a Christian church, that's a clear implication of this, um, and then made financial claims on the church body. This is something that very much interrupts liberal culture and presence within the United Methodist Church. What I wondered... There is no way to know, and I don't want to at all say that, um, that this is what happened, but it, it seems to me that uh, the incentives were in place for her then not to be supported by the institution. I, I can't help but wonder if the complaint was brought against her by someone who's just not at all sympathetic to her and that it put the leadership in the Western jurisdiction in an awkward position. So what, what particular complaints could be brought against her that would make this complicated? Well, if anything of a sexual nature came forward where there is not an alibi, if it turns into a she said, she said thing in particular in the age of believe all women, that would be a situation that is pretty hairy because if it got out, 
that, you know, she wouldn't be the first bishop that was accused of sexual impropriety. There have been several over the years. But if there's a private thing where it's the bishop's word against a vulnerable person that she was over, or, you know, it doesn't have to be sexual if it's financial or if it's just abuse of authority, if it's anything like that, then the Western jurisdiction bishops are placed between a rock and a hard place. Because if this gets out at all, then it upends, you know, she has been a model of liberal leadership. Um, there also could be something interpersonal at play here. Bishop Olivito, this was the ministry that she herself designed. So she was associated with this community for a long period of time, and then Bishop Carcano shut it down. And so I think we're supposed to imagine that there's no hard feelings, and of course, Olivito would stand behind Carcano, and it was a good decision that needed to be made. But hypothetically, this is something where Carcano hung herself out to dry, and Olivito is now in charge of the process, and she is, I think, in charge of the Western College of Bishops. So they can afford, you know, and with, with Olivito in particular, she's already taking uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars that she is not eligible to take. Why not spend a couple hundred thousand more uh, of money that comes from other jurisdictions on her jurisdiction? Um, yeah, let's go ahead and extend this process out. Let's go ahead and, and not obey the disciplinary provisions here. And uh, if it comes at the expense of a liberal bishop, that's fine. She's had to take a step back, but ever since then, you know, we got a, a gay black male bishop, Bridgeforth, over there. So we're still on the up and up. Yes, we're wasting a lot of money, but that's the United Methodist way, and uh, it's, it's a situation that can go on indefinitely. We'll see if Cosro and race and religion have it in them to interrupt this, this balance and make it happen. Um, what I suspect is whatever the truth is of, of the situation, it's going to make the Western College of Bishops look bad. It's going to make liberalism look bad within the United Methodist Church. I think they just want to kick the can until everybody's looking somewhere else and then quietly try and dismiss it while while something else is going on. So um, if you know anything about this, you're welcome to email at uh, pl plainspokenpod at gmail.com. Um, and then uh, if you have other stories about confidentiality being used uh, to cover up corruption or uh, an abuse of the Book of Discipline, send it to the same place. I'm interested. Thanks for joining me. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, pray for the denomination. Um, the positive spin I would put on this is I think if we highlight stories like this, then the incentive is to make um, justice seeking within the denomination more transparent, and I think that would be to everybody's benefit when you treat everybody like adults. So let's pray it goes in that direction.